What happens at laser tag never stays at laser tag. Laser. Laser unfocused tag talk. Laser unfocused tag talk. I feel like you could be like in Ghostbusters or something. Like oh my god, you have got some stories. Let's talk about laser tag. Who knew you were a laser tag legend? Time to get laser unfocused. Tag talk with Tivia. Welcome to Laser Unfocused Tag Talk. Hi, I'm Tivia. When you love laser tag with a passion, you want the world to join you in the experience. From years as a competitive player in Australia to now being part of creating the Laser Sports Academy, we'll get an international perspective from someone dedicated to sharing his love of the game. I'm delighted to be joined today by Ben Baker, who the laser tech community will know as Bootsa, and he is an operator of Laser Zone in Brisbane, Australia, and also one of the founders of Laser Sports Academy. And I'm so excited to be talking with him down in Australia. Welcome, Ben. Thanks so much, Shabir. It's great to be here. Well, I would love to just kind of start from the very beginning and get a feel of how did you get involved in laser tag in the beginning? Um, where did you first play and what brought you from your first game to where you are now? Okay, so it's quite a story. Uh, I started in the 90s back with uh, version 4 zone systems, uh, not 1994. I uh, got dragged down to a site by a friend and uh, I was kind of just playing socially, uh, but really, I really hassled the owner for a job. I really wanted to work there and I finally broke through and got a job, but um, part of the uh, employment conditions was that we had to play league uh, back in the 90s. He was only had to do that. Um, and uh, it much to my dismay, I was like not totally uh, up for it, but so, but I complied and I played league. And before I knew it, I'd fallen in love with the sport. And um, yeah, I was playing league there for about five years and I never was really great at sport. I was kind of okay, but it was finally something I felt like I was I was okay at, and uh, in 2001, we um, went to our first national titles, the West Australian team. So this was in um, Northbridge in Western Australia was my first site that I that I played and worked at. And then we went all the way to the other side of the country onto the East Coast to a place called Sunshine Coast, uh, where I uh, played my first national titles and uh, fell in love with that site, in fact. And then um, two years later, I um, ended up going in partnership with a, with a friend of mine, and we bought the site, and I moved from the west coast all the way to the east coast and i started my journey as a queensland player queensland queensland is the state uh that we we play in and yeah i proceeded to start playing for queensland and the national titles and built a community up there built a scene up there it was um it kind of had one when i was there but i changed a lot of stuff when i got there and we lost a, a, a bit a lot of players uh they didn't really like how the new things were getting run and then um, we built again from the ground up and uh yeah we built it into a really strong state now we have um two sites that contribute players to the to the national titles and we have a very successful um group and uh yeah i played i've been playing all the way through pretty much i've only missed i think i'm up to my 19th or 20th national titles now uh, that i've played and uh, yeah, in that time, I've gone and played in the world titles as well over in uh, the US and Finland, uh, played the sweet Sweden, Sweden Nationals competition that they call Sweenats. Uh, and I've played the national, we hosted the, um, the world's competition in Sunshine Coast in 2014 as well. So that's a, a quick, brief summary. There's a lot of stories in between, of course, but that's kind of an overview of how I've gotten into it and where I've gotten to today. Very good. And you are predominantly a zone player, correct? Well, I would say completely a zone player. Um, okay. In Australia, in Australia, we've really only got the option of a zone and laser force, and uh, the zone system is much more successful in terms of the sporting side of things. 
And I did try out the Laser Force. Um, it's um, the Laser Force equipment's great. Um, the game they play is very different to our game. Um, and I wasn't overly keen on the, um, they have strict restrictions on how you can hold the phaser and you've got to show a sensor. And I kind of felt that the the zone game was a more athletic game and it really, um, it really appealed to me a lot more. So yeah, I got into the zone side of things. Well, that's where I began as well. And so I'm very intrigued to find out a little bit about uh, how it is played in other areas of the world. So, of course, uh, you know that we just had the uh, the nationals here in the United States. But maybe you could give an overview of what the laser tag scene and the zone scene specifically kind of looks like in other parts of the world where you've played and what some of the big things are that are coming up. Yeah, so uh, Australia is kind of doing its own thing very much um, compared to what you would say the US and European scenes are doing. Um, the US and European scenes have a particular play style where they have to play one shot per second with stuns on. Uh, in Australia, we play two shots a second and no stuns, uh, which doesn't sound like a massive change, but it um, is significant in the kind of um, things that are the skills that are awarded in the game. So um, the US and the and the European styles are value brawling a lot. They love the dodging and all that kind of thing. And and the Australian style game doesn't quite have that element. Uh, but we have a I'd like to say we have a different element, which is um, it, when it comes to the base play, uh, because you can get two shots out a second. Uh, it means you can bust into a base. You can take multiple targets out, and you can do a big kind of a solo great great thing in, in that moment. So they both. Um, I love playing the European and US formats, uh, but in Australia, that's the way we. That's the direction we went on in the early days. Uh, and in Australia, we have like one big tournament to rule them all, so to speak, which is the Zone Laser Tag Australasian Championships. Um, it's a very successful tournament. It started in 1999 uh, by a group of operators, which were also enthusiasts. And that was kind of the advantage we had in Australia, that we had, um, you know, people, op operators who were willing to not make a lot of money out of the tournament for, you know, a few years to get it running. Um, and then after maybe five or 10 years, it really started to grow. And um, we're actually off to do the next zone, Laser Tag Australasian Championships. It's called Zeltac. We're off to do the next Zeltac tournament in about a month uh, in Hobart. And we've got 30 teams for this one. Uh, we've had as many as 37, I think, is the maximum we've had. So we usually range in that 30 to 35 range. Uh, the level is very high. Um, yeah, because of the age and the maturity of the competition, uh, the skill level is very high. And uh, that can... Um, be it, you know, the, some of the European teams that have come over can attest to that. We had uh, GP visit for a couple of years, which are the classic Finland team, which have won Worlds multiple times and are probably the, one of the best teams to ever play the game, if not the best team to ever play the game. Uh, and yeah, they came over in their first year, got seventh or in that range. And then they moved up. I think they got fourth in their second year and then they just missed out on winning in their third year. So even a team as great as them took a few years to be able to get to the top of it. Um yeah, and uh, the it's a very well-run tournament too. So we have you know, a big volunteer team. We have um, a media crew. So we, we broadcast all the, uh, the – the, we have vol volunteer commentators and we broadcast all the games. And essentially the host site shuts down completely for the best part of two weeks to the public. And we run games from RDM in the morning through to midnight at night. Um, there's like eight days of competition plus, you know, four or five days of training. And it's uh, a huge, uh, a huge event, essentially. So, 
Yeah, that's probably one of the main differences is that we focus very heavily on our on our Zeltac tournament, um, and we have a few satellite tournaments. Which uh, we have a couple that are called pre-nats, where all the teams that want to go to nationals will essentially go to the pre-nats tournaments to kind of learn the home, home arena, um, and then um, they will go. But they're kind of like you know ten to fifteen teams ish that will go to one of those tournaments, uh, and then the Zeltac will have thirty to thirty-five teams. And we have a few other smaller invitational tournaments, like the New Zealand have an invitational tournament that they just completed in the last month as well. Uh, so, yeah, but in Europe, um, they have a different kind of a setup where they have smaller tournaments, but they have them regularly throughout the year. So you've got the German nationals, then you've got the Finnish nationals, then you've got the Swedish nationals, and they might get between 10 and 20 teams to these events. Uh, and the players... Um, travel around and you'll get a different collection of teams at each event. You know, some teams will compete at every event, um, but some teams will only compete at a particular event. But in Australia, everybody goes to the Nationals or, the, or Zeltac, as it's called. So that's probably, um, I guess, the main main difference. Um, but in terms of gameplay, we all the teams play with three teams in the arena. For, you know, generally it's five-person teams. Um, we all have base evacuation, which um, for people that might not be familiar with that, it's, you know, you have a protected zone around the base and you've got to be active to be in that area. So a lot of the battling happens for the key real estate around the base target. Uh, and which, um, so all of those things are the same across countries. Um, the main difference is just the one shot per second and stuns that you get on the European and US formats. Um, and then, of course, you've got... Uh, France have got a scene as well, but they're kind of doing their own thing as well. They um, play a game where they, I don't know it completely, but they have 4v4 and one team defends and one team attacks and then they swap over and it's just purely off base, base destroys. There's no score involved outside of that. And they play four shots a second. They play a rapid fire game. So they're kind of doing their own thing. Uh, they did host the Worlds in 2017 as well, but um yeah, the rest of us are kind of, uh, you know, we go to each other's events. So, you know, we've had European teams come to the, to the Australian um, nationals and we've got another one coming this year with a, a US player, Invalid, who's joining that team as well. Uh, whereas the French don't uh, sort of mix as much as well uh, within the other, other communities. So that's kind of an overlay of what I've seen. And then you've got the Worlds, which is like essentially a US slash European format. Um, it's slightly different, but it's its own thing, um, and we run that every few years. And the the most the newest worlds has just been announced, which will be in New Zealand in November 2024. Uh, and one of the big exciting things about that tournament is that there's some local players there, Popeyes and VDark, who have invented um, player tracking technology that has been tested for the first time at the most recent. Um, New Zealand Invitationals, which is looking really exciting to, for another progress in in the sport, and uh, you know, just in terms of um, teams being able to learn like and and at a, an accelerated rate, so new players coming in and being able to learn the sport quicker because they've got more information and they can learn off the experienced players at a quicker rate. So, yeah, there's some. Um, it's really exciting what what that could hold for us in um, 2024 in New Zealand. Absolutely. And that player tracking technology is an interesting concept. And so this is player developed, you're saying? Yeah. What can you share about yeah. this? Uh, they actually have some videos out. They tested it at, um, as I was saying, at the New Zealand Invites. Uh, essentially, they have um, got some kind of technology on the pack 
I think, that tracks that, like some kind of RFID technology and then they've got sensors all through the arena and they kind of triangulate the location of the players based upon how far this sensor is from that, like this pack is from that sensor and that sensor and that sensor kind of thing. And it somehow does the mathematics and live can, can figure it all out. Uh, from what I understand, I didn't get a, a huge opportunity to um, to watch any of the um, streams that they had, uh, but from what I have heard from other players, it's it, you can really learn what's going on in there and you can really learn from other players and how they're playing and, um, you know, it opens up a whole bunch of opportunities and possibilities in terms of tracking, um, you know, how much distance people are, are, are travelling and, you know, we can also then look at um, how players are performing in different roles because, you know, depending on whether you're a defender or an attacker at the moment, everybody's listed on the same solo ladder. Uh, but, you know, once we get that, you know, get more developed in that technology, we can start looking at, um, we can create different ladders for different um, roles, essentially, in, in the team. So, yeah, there's uh, yeah a huge amount of possibility. It's still very much in beta. Um, and I think by the time, that, you know, their aim is by the time Worlds comes around in November 2024, they're going to have a pretty developed product, essentially. When I saw this online for the first time, I was very intrigued. And so it's very cool to see, uh, you know, the players taking an initiative to come up with some new ideas. And and I think that that is probably born of just a true love of the game. And I'd love to know, you know you've played for a lot of years now. Uh, I'd love to know what keeps you interested in it and maybe what you think keeps other people interested. What brings people back time and time again and keeps that love of laser tag going? Yeah, so definitely it's changed over the years. Um, I've been playing for oh, 30 years or something now. It's a long time. Um, when I started, I was young. Uh, I was a competitor. I just wanted to compete and win, and that was my objective. Uh, as I got older, it became, uh, I guess, more about, yes, particularly when I moved to Queensland, um, it became more about building the scene there. And I, you know, I, I got a real kick out of growing uh, over many, many years. And I mean, we struggled for years with numbers at, at our local leagues and our performances at nationals. And, you know, it takes a lot of time to develop players to a level where you've got, you know, five or six players on a team that can compete against the best teams. Um, to go, you know, going through all of that was really rewarding. And um, yeah, so, and that still exists for me. Uh, it's still there, but uh, we're at a point with our local community now that it's um, very strong and I've got a lot of players that have been in the scene a long time and now they've taken the mantle and they're the ones that are driving the community focus and, you know, talking to all the new players at league and, and getting the, the league players to step up to the, to the regional level and they're doing all that work now. So I don't really need to do as much of that anymore, um, but I still have a very keen interest in it. Uh, I guess now for me, it's really a lot about fitness and health and um, I'm 45 now and uh, I really, I'm not um, as quite as sharp as I used to be around the arena and I really notice it when I stop playing. It really affects my clar mental clarity and my, um, you know, just my general fitness. So I play for a combination because I love the game still. After all these years, I love it. Um, I really, it's a fitness thing for me. I really love how I feel um, by having a regular regime. Uh, and I also think that... Um, I think it, uh, it it plays a huge role socially for people too. Like there's so many stories in Australia where people have met their friendship groups um, or may not have been ever really good at anything before and this is the first, this is their opportunity to 
um, be good at something and they learn, you know, they learn life lessons through that about humility and being a good sport and and everything that comes with failure as well and winning as well, winning well, losing well and all those team aspects that that can come through. So I, I really um, love what it does in terms of um, giving people who maybe not into traditional sports the opportunity to play at a high level at something and um, grow and learn out of that. And that's what I feel is the role for laser tag in on the in the into the future i really feel like there's um you know clearly a, a an issue with um technology addiction gaming addiction and stuff like that in particularly in um, asian countries got real social issues with it and i really feel like laser tag is a game that is has enough technology in there that they both you know gamers can relate to but it's a traditional sport you're still getting sweaty and you're running around and like you know yelling and you're doing all those physical things and you're socializing and you're working with a team in a team environment so i feel like it's a great bridge um for people who uh yeah might have some challenges with you know getting away from their technology um to actually do something that's healthy for them I wholeheartedly agree. And I know over in the States, we've had a lot of uh, talk about will virtual reality overtake laser tag? And I believe that is not going to be the case because the key component that you were missing there is that social interaction, seeing somebody's face responding to what has just happened, that uh, you know, high five in the briefing room or the the lobby afterwards, you know, that uh that one-on-one interaction you have in the arena is so special and I think so specific to our game that I don't think uh, it's something you can replicate. And certainly I think that, uh, you know, everything that you've said kind of plays right into that and um, and is a, a good reason why this is a whole sport that engages people who are inclined towards the screens, but takes them out of it. Totally. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. And that's why you know, I'm a, I call myself a lifer. I don't think I'll ever be out of the sport in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, I'm not, even if it's uh, more as an administrator into the future or hopefully somebody can develop some things that, you know, help the sport. Um, but, yeah, because I, I feel like it really does play an important social role um, and it's we're just scratching the surface of how popular and mainstream laser sporting can be, I think. And it sounds like you have a lot of locations within reasonably close proximity so that everybody has something fairly close by that they can engage in. It, would that assessment be fair? Uh, so it's probably one of the issues we have in Australia, actually. Australia is oh. a big place. Um, yeah, Australia is a big place and uh, it takes a long time to travel between places. And leagues, uh, local competitions, like local leagues, are difficult to run and um yeah, so operators are, you know, um, rightly so, profit motivated generally, uh, and it takes a bit of like it's it's like getting a big rock rolling. You know, the the first the hardest push is the first one, and you've got to get momentum and the willingness to invest that time and energy to build a community uh, is not always at the top of everybody's priority list. So, um, yeah, so you know. That's probably one of the struggles we have is um, getting local leagues started in different areas of Australia so that people can get into it, essentially. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's something that we hope to address with the Laser Sports Academy is providing some tools and some training tools so that operators can be kind of like, OK, I don't know anything about this game, but I have an off-peak time that I'm not currently got anybody. It's a it's a it's a low revenue time that I'm willing to offer to a group of people if they want to try and generate some income in that time. Uh, at the moment, there's probably some operators out there that would be willing to offer the the Tuesday night or the Monday night or whatever, but 
there's a lack of resources available on how to actually get these things started in a good way. So that's something that we hope to address with the Laser Sports Academy um, is to provide the tools so that, you know, they can do that. They can make that decision. They just then have to find some enthusiastic local enthusiasts who want to pick the thing up um, and they've got everything they need to get a, like a local scene going. But certainly here in Queensland, uh, we've got two sites, one on the north of Brisbane and one on Sunshine Coast. And so if you live in Brisbane area, you're fine. But in other states of Australia, it's it's much more of a challenge if they don't have a like a like a like an operator who's supportive or um, a, a, like a, a flourishing scene, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, that's the challenge for us. Well, I hear you say 37 teams. To me, that sounds like a lot. I personally come from a place where I don't actually have what you would call a home zone site. I don't have a zone site anywhere near me. So I have to travel quite a distance just to have a game. So to hear that 37 teams come out from your immediate vicinity just sounds like you guys are doing something uh, very well. And I admire the goals of the Laser Sports Academy because it's really all about uh, engaging both players and operators and and, uh, helping them to uh, gather some skills. So I'd love to know what would be your best advice to a new player wanting to get involved in a competitive scene? I guess um, the first thing is you've got to find a community that fits for you. Uh, so, and I know in the US, you guys have got so many options in terms of systems. Uh, but when I see what happens with Armageddon and how many different systems you play, like most of those systems I've never seen before or picked up or anything, they don't exist in Australia. So um, I think the first thing for a new player is to figure out what's, what's in your local area, what's within reach um, so that you can go and find the right game and system that resonates with you, I guess, and the right community as well that that um, you're going to fit in with. And then if you find that and you start to play, uh, the best advice I can give to anybody that's kind of gotten a start and they want to get better is develop the people around you because you, uh, you, you can only get better when you've got other people to tr- regularly play against and train against. So uh, if you get sort of five strong players together and you only ever play together and you just whoop everybody at your local site, there'll be a definite um, lid on how high you can go. Best thing you can do is split all your best players up, try and develop new players and build a scene. So you've got three, four, you know, average quality teams that you can regularly train against and lift the whole group up. Um, And that will be the best thing you can do for your community. And for yourself, you'll actually become a better player because you'll have people to train against. Now, one of the things that I have noticed in the United States, I'd love to know if it's similar for you, is just that standalone laser tag arenas, where typically these leagues are are most embraced and and developed from the ground up, they're becoming far and far less common uh, as opposed to laser tags being incorporated into these big multi-attraction family entertainment centers where it might be a very small piece of a big puzzle and not uh, given the kind of attention that a standalone operator might. So that's the trend that we're seeing is that similar uh, where you are? And how does that affect the growth of a scene? Yeah, it um, is definitely similar in Australia. Uh, I'd, I'd struggle to, I mean, there's a few laser tags around with just arcades still, but there, there wouldn't be a single laser tag venue that's just laser tag that I can think of. Um, oh, Hobart is actually just a stand, but it's just a very small site on top of a time zone, actually. So they kind of make money off the people that are coming into time zone. So there's a few of them around, but yeah, definitely the pattern is that it becomes a an added activity to another main major attraction. It's quite often not the major attraction of a venue, and that's what makes Laser Zone, our, our business is kind of unique 
laser tag is the main activity, and then the arcades and bumper cars and stuff are like the 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 the, the side activities or the things to keep you occupied when you're not playing laser tag. So clearly, our arcades are nowhere near what time zone are. Um, but uh, does it impact? Uh, it's it's it does uh, in some way because when you are just purely a laser tag venue, there's a much um, you basically all the management focus is in building the laser tag, and part of that would be filling out off-peak revenue um, so there's a there's a much higher amount of management time available to focus on getting leagues and stuff started uh so it does affect it but i i don't believe it needs to be the killer of of late of leagues and competitions um this this trend that we're seeing i think if the big players have a viable product which is you know a laser league in a box or something very simple they can go okay we, we know we've got these off-peak nights they're they're profit driven if we can give them the tools to make a little bit of extra profit in an off-peak night, they will look at it, you know. So it comes down to how well we can we can make that into a product uh, and how well we can market it to, to these sites, uh, to, you know, that have, you know, they're not going to, laser tags not their priority focus, but we, we can find people who are willing to take on the challenge of building a league at their venue and give them all the tools to do it and show that it's going to support and build their business rather than detract from it, then I, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't look at it does it seem to you that that role is falling to the players to be the ambassador, to bring the idea to the operators? Or do you think that that's something that manufacturers should be uh, promoting in, in a different way? Where do you think? Uh, obviously, our scene is very player driven. Uh, but where do you think the uh, the guidance should be or or where is it at this point? Uh, well, the guidance is nowhere at the moment um but it's just players essentially uh but yeah that's our goal is because we can't sit on our hands and wait for operators or manufacturers to suddenly decide they want to um get behind supporting the sport um you know manufacturers are in the business of making good equipment reliable equipment and selling that equipment um you know until the sport sells them more equipment they're probably not going to be that interested in it uh so yeah it's on us and that's why we, you know, a big part of the reason we started the Laser Sports Academy is to to take that on and go, okay, well, we know a lot about this game. Um, let's create something and uh, let's put some tools out there that people can use. So, you know, it's a, um, it's a, what, what would you call it, an act of leisure at the moment of something that we do in our spare time. So, you know, it's uh, it takes time to build all this stuff out. If it was a full-time job, you know, we probably would have already had it out there by now, but it will happen. We'll make it happen. And uh, yeah, hopefully we have something out, you know, in the next year or so that, you know, operators can, or enthusiasts can take to operators and say, look at this, we can do this for you if you want, give it a try. Well, I think that's tremendous. And I, I think you and I have a lot of similarities in terms of how uh, we're approaching uh, just promoting the sport as a whole, because it is totally a labor of love. And I'd love to hear a little bit more because I, I think you and I might have been getting Laser Sports Academy and my podcast might have been happening at roughly the same time. It's been about a year. Is that correct for you? Yeah, amazing. So that's terrific. And I think the more we can get laser tag being talked about, the more uh, opportunities will present. But I would love to hear about Laser Sports Academy, how it began and what your goals are and what you're doing. So please tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah, so it's um, there's three of us that started this about a year ago. Um, it's been simmering for quite a long time. I actually created all the logos and that back in 2017. And then I went off and um, was invited to build another venue. And I went and did that for a couple of years and that kind of distracted me. But 
I, I finished all of that up and um, there was a couple of other guys in our community. One of them is Ryan Holmes, his alias is Holmes, and the other one is Lachlan Whittington, his alias is Spider. And uh, we were all starting to create content. So, um, yeah, I just reached out to the guys and said, hey, like, let's, should we work together on this and see if we can, um, if, the, if the sum of the parts can be greater than what we're all individually doing right now. And, yes, yeah, so we jumped in together and uh, started doing things a year ago. We didn't really know exactly exactly what content was going to be received by people. So we just started doing different things and we're now starting to find what people really like, uh, at least what the current play, um, player base really like, which is they love uh, reviews of tournaments, they love predictions for tournaments, um, this kind of stuff, interviews with players from different countries and things they really appreciate. It's really um, sort of brought... The country's a little bit closer together. I really feel, at least for myself personally, I've got I'm build, build, building relationships with um, international enthusiasts, and I think that's um, a really key part of of growing the overall sport because we can all work together, we can all learn from each other, um, and support each other's channels. And like, just more content is better, um, which is going to get in front of more people's eyes. So, essentially, our goal is, um, you know, getting more people playing laser tag is number one, um, and to also provide tools for players, but also for operators um, in order to, you know, build leagues and competitions or get better at playing laser tag. Um, but also like senior players as well, like you'd like, would like to go down the track of providing um, the ability for senior players to be able to lead and coach junior players better. Um, you know, the long term, we could get into all kinds of things, whether it's ref qualification and, and all kinds of things. There's a lot of possibility with it. But right now our focus is just getting content out that people like um we are bit, currently building a website so that we would we can have you know all the competitions and leagues that are coming up just a one-stop shop where people can go to see what's coming up uh and uh eventually we would like to have you know be able to help create pathways for players and enthusiasts to earn income in the sport essentially um whether that's doing workshops whether it's creating masterclass videos that people can buy um you know we'd like to have a platform that enables people to be able to do that essentially um, because then if people can start working full-time in the sport everything's gonna gonna grow as well so that's kind of another medium-term goal that we would like to that we have on our little radar I think that's a tremendous idea and I think that uh, what you're doing and building a platform is great um, at this point it sounds like you've got some of that footing set up and uh, as far as what you can offer as advice to operators I'd love to know if there are some quick tips that you could share that might be useful to bringing an idea to a, a site that just doesn't know where to begin what would you advise them I think first thing is you need to find probably two preferably two but minimum one um, people who are willing to grab it by the scruff of the neck and run with it um, and put the time and energy into it because getting things going from a zero start is not easy. It takes, you know, you, you've got to start. The first thing you start with is get a, a like a list on the on your front desk and ask customers whether they'd be interested in starting joining a league. Once you get to 20 or 30 names, you can get something started. You know, you just that's the quickest, that's the easiest way. So you start with just asking people that come through, are oh, we going to be starting something soon, a league or a competition? Would you guys be interested? In, we'll just reach out and let you know when it's happening. Um, and then, uh, then yeah, if you can find your one or two players that, like, take it on as their project um, to push it and they've got to be the consistent face that's there every week. I always say to my guys that if you were doing martial arts lessons and your martial arts instructor changed every week, how inspired would you to be? 
be to stick with the martial art. Like it's one of those things where the, the figurehead needs to be a charismatic leader who kind of people can look up to um, and uh, respect and um, they need to drive everything initially. You need like that charismatic leader to kind of drive things. And then once things are going, then you can kind of hand over to the community to do different tasks and roles. But um, initially it's it really requires the effort of one or, one or two people and, and you don't need to make the legal competition complicated. Um, we, when we first started um, at our site, we just had a, every team, every week the teams would change. Um, so you'd rock up and the teams would be different each week. So you get an opportunity to play with different players, but you'd still get, there'd still be a ladder. So based upon the results of the week, every player on each team would get a certain amount of points. Uh, so throughout the season, if you were regularly attending and on average your team was doing well, you would finish higher on the ladder and then would still have an award presentation at the end of the season and all that kind of stuff. So that's a great way just to get started while people are still figuring out whether what they want to, if they want to do this in their discretionary time, whether they like this game or not. You know, your attendance fluctuate. People might come this week and not that week. That happens when you're first starting and you've got to get through that stage. Uh, and then when you get a year or two in, you can go to more of a fixed team league where you fix the teams for the for the season. We do a 10-week season here in, in Brisbane. Uh, and uh, that then takes it to another level because people have the challenge of working with the same group of players over the course of the season and, you know, improving team play and all that kind of stuff. So it means that the skill level can go up a notch, essentially. So, yeah, it's a progression that happens. Um, and, yeah, that's yeah, that's our aim is we want to teach how you can do that progression. It's not overly difficult, um, but it, re it really requires effort. And the most important thing in the early days is getting right on top of the cultural pieces. And uh, you need somebody who can uh, manage, um, you know, it's a sport and people are getting heated about things and, oh, my God, that person cheated and things like that. So you need to set really clear standards in terms of what behaviours are acceptable, um, how we talk to each other, um, when there's a, a like a conduct matter, we call it, um, you know, this is a behaviour that's not acceptable. We have to address it straight away. You can't let things simmer and you can't let um, conflicts between players just exist in the space. It creates a, an unnecessary tension, which is really um, unattractive to new people. So if you want to retain new players, you need to iron out all of that stuff and have a culture where players are pulling other players up on, on bad behaviours. So it's not all up to the the league coordinator. It can, it's, you know, it's just a thing. This is how we do it here. That we don't we don't pick on the new guy. If he's here for the first night, you don't run in from six metres away and get a big denial on them trying to get the base or anything like that. Just let them get the base, let them find their feet, um, you know, support the new players to, um, you know, fall in love with the game, essentially, so that we can build our, our scene up. So that's probably more than one thing, but that was a, that's a couple of uh, key things, I think. No, I think you've uh, hit some very good points there, and especially just uh, off of uh, the last thing you were saying, I think that it's so important for the uh, more hardcore enthusiasts to do exactly what you're saying and be encouraging, because uh, I, I have heard a question or a concern about, you know, are members good for a business? Because if a member is supportive, you can bring more people in, and if a member is bashing the birthday party, that can be a real detriment. So I think that there is a, a real need for members to uh, kind of police their own behavior and be good stewards and good ambassadors for the sport, if anything is to grow and for an operator to welcome you to try and do something. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there was a real narrative, particularly in the early 2000s, um, that, you know, members was a dirty word kind of thing. Um, it was... This is when, you know, a lot of leagues and tournaments really started to get shut down, um, particularly in the US, I heard. This was a, this was an issue that was had. Um, 
And this is, you know, the scene in the US used to be really strong in the 90s and then they kind of, this is the zone scene at least, um, and then it kind of dropped right down in the early 2000s uh, around the release of the, the TN infusion system, which had something to do with it. But um, I think also um, just because operators become a lot less, um, you know, enthusiastic about leagues because of the, um, you know, members became a dirty word because of the behavioural issues. Um, but they, they don't necessarily need to be um, when... The, when it, the culture is managed correctly, it's actually, I think, 180 degrees the opposite way and they become very encouraging and they can really support players to come into the business. And, you know, they have friends visit from out of town and they bring them into play and, like, they actually bring business to the venue. A lot of our – we have um, a junior league that we run on a Wednesday afternoon for kids, 8 to 14 years, and we also have a, a homeschool league for kids who are homeschooled. That's on a Wednesday morning. And the amount of those kids that um, – have their birthday parties there or, you know, come on the school holidays because they love it. Um, you know, it's not just about the money that we make on the league. We, we, we get these um, evangelists essentially that basically, you know, just tell everybody about it and bring people in and all this kind of stuff. So, I yeah, I believe if the behavioural things are managed correctly, they become an asset rather than an issue. Absolutely. And on that note and looking forward to hopefully more leagues developing and more uh, growth in the scene, what do you predict for the future of the competitive laser tag scene going forward? Uh, okay. So I probably have a little bit of um, like out there views on this. I think long, long term, I think where we'll end up is we need a broadcast version of the game. So at the moment we have a version of the game, which is great for enthusiasts. We love it, but for a new player viewing it, it's, complicated um there's lots of focal points so you have sometimes you have multi-level arenas where there's 16 jewels happening in all these different places um to try and capture the game on camera and broadcast it to the public in a mainstream sense is extremely difficult so i feel like uh there at some stage we need to create something which is simpler uh potentially two teams i like to get the three team thing but um, and it's not doesn't necessarily have to be one game either maybe our sport can have a, a couple of different formats that accumulate to to create a match who knows but i think we need to create a simpler broadcast version of the game at, at some stage uh and don't it doesn't that's not at the expense of what we have now i think the, what we have now we, it will get kept um it's a, it's the ultimate um test of all the skills um the analogy i give in in, in australia probably the americans might not know much about cricket but we have a, a sport a sport called cricket uh where they played for five. The, the original version of the game was a five-day game called a test match. And what happened is in the 80s, they realised that it was just too long. They needed to just shorten the format of the game to get people in. So they created a, a shorter one-day version of the game. And then about 20 years ago, they realised that people's attention span is getting even shorter. We need to shorten the game again. So they created this thing called 2020, which is a three-hour version of the game where it's just like the people go out and they just belt the ball around everywhere. There's nowhere near the amount of skills involved in it um, as test cricket, but it gets a lot of new viewers in and it gets the kids excited and it's, a, they, you know, they make a big song and dance and there's a lot, you know, fireworks going off and it's um, a completely different, you know, brand to the test cricket. And I think we need our 2020 version of the game uh, and, uh, and, but we keep our, our ultimate, tests which is you know what we currently have the three teams five players you know, what we're doing at the moment is, is beautiful and i love it i hope we never lose it i think that's one aspect to it and then the other aspect um for the future of the game is the distribution of the game uh so that comes down to how can we get more leagues and competitions running 
Uh, potentially, can we create a mobile version or something that we can pop in the pop-up version, uh, which replicates enough of the skills that we have in our indoor version, uh, but we're not relying on, you know, these other traditional uh, party venue sites to host these things. We could actually just pop them up in a, a gym or a basketball court or, or anywhere, and we could replicate the arenas in different parts of the globe and that'll address a lot of the issues we have around um you know in asia at the moment they don't have a lot of you know they probably don't have the space for big indoor venues like what we play our competitions in at the moment but they do have a lot of basketball courts so if we had a little pop-up version that we could take to places like that it means that we can distribute the game better so it'll open up a whole bunch of new markets for us so i think those two pieces um are how we're going to grow the sport in the long term um so, yeah, uh, for the time being, though, we just keep keep getting content out there. Uh, I think that's another part of it, doing what you're doing, doing what we're doing, anybody else who wants to put content out there. It's like let's just get a big body of work up so that when people do finally, when we do finally break into the mainstream, people have somewhere to go and learn and learn the history and all the interviews that you've done with all the legends in, in laser tag are just like so gold, like capturing all that history and uh, George Carter the third, you know, like, did, did you play with him? Did you play? I did. <laughs> yes. That On laser tag enough. day. Yeah. Founder of laser tag. That was quite an honor. Yeah, I bet it was. I mean, things like that. You know, that's now that's now on, on YouTube forever. So, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, when we do break through one day, all the people, all the kiddies are going to have our channels to go back in history and look at all this stuff. And they've got um, things to consume. So it's going to keep them more interested in it. So what we're doing is, is the right first step, I believe, by just getting content out. And we'll, we'll address the other issues later. And then, of course, there's all the... The great technology that players are creating like the you know the, the, the kiwis who've got this player tracking technology and and i'm sure there's other players working on other developments in the sport um people are always working on new scoreboards and different way to put stats together and tournament managers and all this all this technology and software um you know we'll, we can combine it all together to create a product which is really appealing and uh yeah, we'll get uh, more 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 people interested too or at least retain a lot of people when they when they start coming into the sport Wholeheartedly agree. And where can you direct people to find Laser Sports Academy's content? Best place to go is YouTube. Uh, just I think I think it's YouTube for sports slash Laser Sports Academy. Just type into the search bar Laser Sports Academy into YouTube. That's the best place. Uh, we will have a website coming soon in the next few months. I hope uh, we do have a, a TikTok and Facebook account as well. Um, but you should be able to find all our links via our YouTube. We have all our links. In, our, in any one of our YouTube videos. So that's the best place to start. Go to some of our playlists. Um, Ryan Holmes has done some great playlists for beginners. Like if you're a new player and want to learn the basics, like he's just done instructional videos on some of the, the basic skills. Uh, and I've done a bunch of interviews with um, getting the origin stories of some of the scenes. So if you're into history and, and hearing from some of the old players, then uh, go check those out as well. Absolutely. Well, I admire what you're doing, and I hope lots of people now find Laser Sports Academy. And uh, I'd love to end with a little bit of rapid-fire tag talk. I like to throw some quick questions at you with some quick answers back. You game? Okay, absolutely. Okay. What is your favorite laser tag system? Ooh, okay, probably, oh, I'd have to say, probably version 4. Okay. Version 4 zone systems, yep. <laughs> Favorite game format? Probably it would have to be the the nationals format, team team format. But it's close second. I love elimination too. Elimination, team elimination. Coolest place that you've ever visited because of laser tag? 
ever visited because of laser tag? Oh, probably off in Finland. When we went to Finland, yeah, 2011. Loved, loved going there. It was beautiful. In summer, they get two weeks of really beautiful weather in the middle of the year. That's when we went. It was great. Very nice. Coolest person that you've ever met through laser tag? Oh, I can't go. Oh, you're pretty good, Tiff. Just been, this has been a great interview. Um, uh, I really, I really, uh, oh, I really respect moment uh, Andreas from from Sweden. He uh, does a huge amount for the sport, and I really, um, yeah, respect what the commitment that he has to the game. Very nice. Coolest prize that you've ever received at Laser Tag? Coolest prize I've ever received. This is boring, but I don't know if I've received anything other than trophies. That's all it's been, just been trophies. I know in the early days they've received arcade machines for the first ever wow. <laughs> winners. But well, I wasn't playing in the first one, unfortunately, so I missed out on the arcade machines. But unfortunately, I can't give you anything other than trophies. Okay. What's your favourite energy drink to keep you running on the move? Oh, do not. A coffee. Coffee is my energy drink. <laughs> <laughs> And what's your favorite brand of we never run in the arena shoes? Ah, uh, well, I'm into the Under Armors at the moment. They're, they're really doing me. I, I mean, you destroy shoes, right? So you go for something. Mm-hmm. I go for something that's cost effective because I know they're going to get destroyed in like a month. So, and they're comfortable, really comfortable, and they fit really well. So Under Armour all the way. All right. Available for sponsorship too. Anybody from Under Armour is watching. <laughs> there you go. And finally, best reason to play laser tag. Just because it's the best sport in the world. That's to the point. You got it. Well, and I thank you so much. Ben Baker, a.k.a. Bootsa, from uh, Laser Zone in Brisbane, Australia, and one of the founders of Laser Sports Academy. Ben, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me and talk some laser tag. No worries, Tim. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for checking out this episode of Laser Unfocused Tag Talk. Listen for more episodes on the first and third Friday of each month. Want to be a guest on an upcoming episode? Find out more and follow my blog and website at tibiachickloveslasertag.com. 